Welcome to the Living Word. I'm Sarah Jala Emanuel, an evangelist of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank God for another opportunity to open up the scriptures and um, learn from God the way of truth and life. Uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Eternal God and Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you again today to learn from you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and teach us, open our hearts, open our eyes to behold the beauty of the Lord, the glory of God, open our hearts to understanding, and open our intellect to understanding. We pray for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, that our hearts in this hour may be good soil for the word of God, to fall unto, and to grow, and to germinate, and to produce multiple fold. Lead us and guide us in your truth and in your power, O Lord our God. Lord Jesus, in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. So we continue in our series. The series I've entitled, Who is on the Lord's Side? A very important question for everyone to ask ourselves as professing Christians. In the journey through life, there are two sides. There are two camps to which we may belong. And everybody belongs in one or the other. There is no neutral ground. You are either on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is on the side of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, or you are on the side of the devil. Now, everyone who walks in disobedience to the ordinances and commands of God is on the side of the devil. No man is neutral. It doesn't matter whether people say they're atheists, Gnostics, agnostics. It doesn't really matter what title people choose to give themselves or to what camp they belong or what religion even. If you are not walking in obedience to the word of God, if Jesus Christ is not acknowledged by you and received by you as Savior and Lord, you are on the side of the devil. Because um, Christianity is not a religion. It's not a religion. It is the way of life established by the Almighty God himself. Early Christianity was widely referred to at the, in the first century. It was referred to as the way, indicating the new revelation as the way of life established by God himself through the atoning sacrifice of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. It's the way. We had all walked in idolatry. The entire world had worked in idolatry, doing all sorts of things, worshipping anything and everything they chose. Even Israel, a people God formed for himself to be the role models of mankind, to, to show the true worship of God and to evidence his love lavished on us all, through them even they failed they could not desist from idolatry because they 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 refused to be uncorrupted by the other nations of the world that's the story of another day so in that wise god had his plans even before the creation of mankind he knew the way we were going to walk nothing happens with us or to us that surprises god he's never in shock we don't shock him, we don't surprise him. Before time, he put his plans in place for our redemption. He knew the way we were going to go. And he put the plans in place for our deliverance. So, uh, the only way of life acceptable to God is through faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus' death and, and resurrection. He died as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We cannot atone for our own sins. And this is where all the other religions of the world fail human beings. They cannot show you a way to God. They do not know God. They tell you to put certain things in practice and do certain things and uh, pay certain penances or do certain, perform certain rituals and things and hope for the best. None can tell you what is going to happen after you die. And we are all going to die. We are all going to die, rich or poor, sick or well, married or single, parent or childless. We are all going to die. But there is no religion under the sun that can give you peace concerning that matter or tell you what will happen. Only Christianity has told us from beginning, the beginning to the end of all things. God's plans are not hidden from us. He's made it very clear to us in his, in his revealed and inspired word. And for this, Christians have peace. True Christians anyway, because I do know many professing Christians who are, ter who are terrified of the prospect of dying. They are so scared of it. And this is the fecal Christianity that I have been talking about in this whole series. And so, Christians 
uh, the, the believers were first called Christians, believers in the way. It was called the way. Because uh, let's remember, our Lord Jesus Christ himself said in John chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said he is the way. And he is indeed the way, the truth. There is no other way to God. No one has ever given us revelation of God or what the kingdom of God is about or what the kingdom of God is like except the Lord Jesus Christ himself who is God the Son. And he came and dwelt amongst us to give us that revelation, fully God, fully man. And he paid the, the price for our sins. He made himself sin on our behalf. He took the punishment that we so deserved upon himself. And all this was done out of love because God loves us. He has no reason to love us. There's nothing lovable about us, to be honest. Not even now. But he chose to love us. And so for that reason, he has taken for himself, he has elected for himself a remnant. Not everybody in the world is going to be saved. You can forget about that notion. It doesn't matter how much good works you do, which is what false religions um, propagate. So do good works, be good to people, be kind, do your best, and you know, it will be well with you. God will not fail to let you into paradise. Sorry, but human beings, we do not dictate how we get into the kingdom of God. We do not dictate how God works. We do not dictate what he will do and what he must do. We have got to fall in line with him. So who is on the Lord's side? Are you on the side of God? And you cannot be on the side by just mouthing empty words, which is what is very common. People say they're Christians, but they walk in disobedience. People say they're Christians and they're not even saved. They're not broken. They're still the same people. They've always been wallowing in their sinfulness. But I think it's okay just to say Jesus is Lord and that's fine. Because that is what false teachers lead them to believe. You know, pay your tithes, sow your seeds, sow your seed or uh, faith offering, your seed offering. And you're fine. You know, you've you squared things with God. No, you haven't. God is not needy. He's not hungry. What have you got? What have I got to offer the sovereign God? Everything we have, he himself has given us. It doesn't matter whether you put in millions or billions into, into a church group or a church project or, or, or even spend it on behalf of the poor. You have been given the ability to make that, to, to make that wealth by God himself. That's if the, if, if the money is not stolen, which is a major problem we have. You know, churches receiving stolen funds and, and feel the blood money. False churches, that is. No true church of Christ indulges in such things and we've been talking about this on false teachers but um there's still so much ground to cover on that front and we will continue as we, uh, as we speak but then talking about christianity being the way the believers in the first century they were called christians uh, it, it occurred first in the city of antioch and it was as a result of the evident likeness to christ in their character in their demeanor people could see it in the fruit of the Holy Spirit that they produced. It wasn't because they chose to take a nickname upon themselves. They did not call themselves Christians. It was outsiders who called them Christians. The non-believers called them Christians. You know, because they saw in them the, all the character and, and attributes of Jesus Christ that they'd heard of. They saw it in the people, the fruit of the Spirit. You see the fruit of the Spirit we see uh, uh, listed for us, not an exhaustive list, in Galatians, uh, chapter 5 of Galatians, we see there what the fruit of the Spirit is, and um, very, very different to, to the uh, deeds of the flesh. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are not natural attributes that we have. They are fruit produced by the Holy Spirit of God in us. Because in and of ourselves, what we, what we can produce at best are the acts of the sinful nature. We, we, we have them all. We all have them in us, you know. But when we come to Christ, we are cleansed and washed clean. And we, we are rebirthed by the Holy Spirit of God. And then he begins to produce fruit in keeping with himself, in keeping with the Spirit in us. Otherwise, you know, the acts of the sinful nature are characteristic of human beings generally just sexual immorality impurity debauchery idolatry witchcraft hatred discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition dissensions factions and envy drunkenness orgies and the like 
It's a very long list, an endless list. Every kind of evil characteristic he can see in people, foul-mouthedness, lewdness, all the sort of things are fruits of the carnal nature that we all have by default because of who we are, sinful man. But there's a difference when you are in Christ. Your entire life changes. Your, your, your entire thinking changes, your attitude changes, your character changes. You are born again. And this is what Paul said. We, we, we uh, read this before in a previous uh, teaching. It says in, in Romans chapter 12, from verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul urges us there to change our minds, to repent. That's what it means, to be renewed in the, in, in the attitude of our minds. I said it before that repentance means a changing of the mind, change of heart. We turn our hearts to God. Yes, it is God who empowers us by the Holy Spirit, who he gives to live in us and with us. God, the Spirit, lives in us and with us. That is the presence of the Almighty God. The Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are one. We serve uh, one God who subsists in three persons. And when you have the presence of the Almighty God in you, you are holy, you are righteous. It is not possible for you to continue to wallow in the sinful nature. It isn't. Because you are conscious of who you are. You are now a child of God. You are, you've got the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is why we are warned in Corinthians that we, we need to respect our bodies as the temple of God. Do you not know that your body is the temple in which God lives by His Holy Spirit? So we cannot use our bodies in the useless ways in which we used to before. In carnal living, in debauched living, in filthy living. And this is what Paul is saying again, where he says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. God empowers us, but we have got to be willing. We have got to play our part. It's not just all God's doing. We have got to be willing. We have got... I need to exercise self-control. The Holy Spirit of God is not going to force me to exercise self-control. I need to take that step. And then he empowers me. He gives me the strength to do it. I need to resist temptation. Temptation is not going to walk away from me. Temptation is thrown at us left, right, and center through each day and each moment. But you have got to make up your mind and decide, no. No, the Bible tells us that the righteousness of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no to everything ungodly. You have got to say no. And when you say no, choosing to be on the Lord's side, he gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to resist the temptation. That's why we're told in James chapter 4, it says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist. You have got to resist and the devil will flee from you. You do not get rid of the devil in the foolish way that people are taught nowadays by saying, Bind Satan and I bind you and I cast you into the abyss and I send you to a land of no return. Holy Ghost, fire consume the devil. That's a whole lot of nonsense. It's a whole lot of nonsense. And if it was effective, why is the devil still running around wreaking havoc amongst you all today, to, to this day? It's because he has not been cast in the abyss. Because he is not bound as you purport to do. Because you know what? We do not have the authority to cast Satan into the abyss. We have no authority to, bound, to, to bind him. We haven't. We have not. The authority we have, of the power we have, the extent of our power is to resist him. Only the Lord Jesus Christ himself will bind him and cast him to the abyss or wherever he needs to go, according to scripture. Only the Lord Jesus Christ himself will at his return. Until then you and I are commanded to resist him. Resist him. When you resist him, God gives you the power to overcome the temptation. You do not stop deceiving yourself and stop wasting time. And this is why many, many professing Christians are defeated by the devil. They are. They are like playthings in his hands. 
because he looks at people while they are binding and cutting him and he's and he throws them even you know you know longer deeper sharper fiery darts and they cannot overcome it and so they're so restless you say you're a christian you have no peace you say you're a christian you have no joy do you know why there are reasons why one either you're faithless and when i talk about faith i'm not talking about the sort of um uh empty notion of faith that is also very predominant amongst um uh, false preachers where they tell you that oh faith is believing what whatever you ask God for you're going to get no that's not what faith is faith is not believing that whatever you ask God for you're going to get because people then go I mean they usually say this nonsense in the event of the, in the process of their trying to cajole you into giving more money and parting with more funds that's what it's all about so they say to you you know what you've got, you've got to exercise faith you sow that seed of faith you've got it always entails money you have to put money forward to, to evidence your faith and then they tell you to claim it and name it and declare it and b- proclaim it before God. Who are you to proclaim or declare anything before God? You are nothing. You are nothing. Whatever we get from God, we receive out of his great love and mercy. And most things anyway that we need in life, God gives us out of his sheer providence anyway. That is why even the sinners prosper in their businesses and in their careers. I mean, those who actually hold God in contempt, those who despise God, non-believers, they do well, they have good marriages, they have good businesses, they have children, they, 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 they do well in their profession. You know, the, everything that the lustful carnal flesh wants, they are able to get. And they're non-believers. So when somebody is telling you that um, you... God wants to prosper you and God wants you rich and wealthy and healthy and so sow this seed of faith and sow that seed of faith, you know, pull this money in and covenant this and covenant that with money and, you know, challenge God with money or activate God with money. That's another very insulting, blasphemous thing I've heard. You cannot, uh, God cannot be activated un- until he sees your money. God being activated by your money, how much have you got? How much have you got? The almighty God who sustains the entire universe (laughs) without any man's help. How much do we pay him for the sunshine and the moon and the stars? How much do we pay him for the air we breathe without which we'll be dead in in a minute? How much do we pay? How much do we pay him for the rains, for the snow, for the seasons, for the forest, for the for the waterfalls, for the seas and the oceans and all the sea life and all the wildlife and all all that we feed on and live on, all that sustains us. How much how much do we pay God? How much do we pay him for every heartbeat? How much do we pay him? How much do we pay him for good health? How much do we pay him for each hair on our heads? That all of a sudden God some 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 rogue is telling you that God cannot do anything until he sees your your seed faith or seed of faith with all sorts of nonsensical names they call them and so out of your sheer greed you put in all that you've got subject yourself to poverty whilst the rogue preacher is getting richer changing their cars every month they've got a fleet of them building house upon house estate upon estate private jets private helicopters Business upon business, they're setting up all sorts of educational institutions you cannot afford to educate your children in. They're building properties you cannot afford to rent, let alone buy. You're enriching them, they get enriched, they tell you it's the prosperity, and that's the thing. They make themselves the case study, they make themselves the example before you, because they say to you, look, everything I've got is because I'm a, I'm a faithful servant of God. It's all as a result of my obedience to God. Oh yes, I was very poor at one time, and then I put in all the money I had. It was all the money I needed to pay my, my, my mortgage, and I put it all in as a seed of faith, and I challenged God, and look where I am today. It is a lie from the pits of hell. Yes, they're prospering. Out of your gullibility. That's where their prosperity comes from. You are their victims. And that's why they're prospering. They're fleecing you. I wrote a book some years ago. Um, it's called Fleece My Sheep. And in there I, I, I highlighted all the folly. Of seeking after prosperity. And break financial breakthroughs and miracles. And all those things. And I, I spoke, it's all about false teachers. The book is all about false teachers. 
And I pointed it all out, all of them, all over the world. Every continent has them. They're all over the world. Human beings are human beings, regardless of color or, or, or nationality or, or, or ethnicity. It doesn't matter. But at this present time, I see Africans are at a totally different dimension now because um, there's a problem here where the occult is as infiltrated the, the church. Well, what they call church anyway. Because, of course, I am aware that I know that there is the visible church, which is what we all see, and everybody in the world sees as church, which everybody, a lot of people talk down to because they see all the atrocities being performed by them. Then there is the invisible church. And those are the true elect of the Lord, the true saints of God. And they know themselves. Yes, a lot of them, some, you know, some of them are, unfortunately, mixed up amongst those false churches. But the Lord knows his own. These people serve God in spirit and in truth. Their hearts are pure and sincere. And their devotion is towards Christ Jesus alone as Savior and Lord. They do not take on any lordship in the world of pastors and daddies and daddy G.O.s and mommy G.O.s and daddies and mommies in the Lord. A whole bunch of arrogant, empty-minded, empty-headed people who are devoid of the truth, people who serve the, serve the devil but claim to serve Christ. But they're all self-serving and self-seeking who consume the people, the, the vulnerable people consume them as, as wolves consume meat. It's very sad. It's a very, very sad state of affairs. And all this because people themselves turn their ears away from the truth. The truth of God is available to all. There was a time I used to be very, very disenchanted with the with the false preachers. And I used to be so irate at the sound of their voices. I still am. But I used to place all I used to lay all the blame at their feet. Until I gained the understanding, like, look, the word of God, the truth of God is not hidden from any man. If any man chooses, Jesus Christ said, if any man chooses to serve God. He will know whether his teachings was from God or not. And it's, the same, it's exactly the same thing. If you really want to know God, he is not hidden. He has given us revelation of himself in the Holy Scriptures. Both Old and New Testament speak of God, speak of the Deliverer, the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. We have all the revelation we need. All we need to know about God is in this one book. But people are too lazy. People are too lazy and not just that. People cannot be bothered. They love the world and themselves too much to submit to the authority of the word of God. And so they would rather have the word of the false teachers because they say nicer things that tingle the ears. I uh, came across something yesterday on, uh, on Facebook. There was minding my business and uh, this video came up of some woman some pastor woman it's always the case you always have pastor once their husband is claims he's a pastor the wife automatically is a pastor as well so we're in africa we've got them all over the place you know africans usually pastor and pastor missus or reverend and reverend missus and all that let me tell you in the first place when you see a couple like that i'm sorry but for me it's an indication that they're not of the lord why there's no precedent of it in the bible where god calls them as a couple to to be you know pastor and pastor missus the bible makes clear that a woman is not to teach in the assembly in the church in the church group you know a woman should not preside over the church it's 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 just that simple so i don't see it is not a family calling the apostles i'm sure many of them had wives we certainly know that peter had a wife how much did we hear of her how much the only thing we heard about peter's wife was that his mother-in-law was was sick with a fever and the Lord Jesus healed her. So we know Peter was married. And Paul also said he wasn't. We don't know what happened with Paul, but as a Pharisee, he must have been married initially. It is a possible we don't know what happened to his marriage, whether he was a widower or or his wife left him because of his newfound faith in Christ Jesus because obviously I mean he was he was a Pharisee the son of a Pharisee he was a persecutor of Christians he had started under the, the one of the very best teachers you know um, in Israel he studied under Gamaliel and when he then met with the Lord Jesus Christ when the Lord apprehended him in his journey to go and um, 
find and, uh, and uh, arrest more Christians. Paul served, he was, he was very zealous for God as a Pharisee. He was very, very zealous for God. And as far as he was concerned, persecuting Christians and putting them in prison and having them beaten, he oversaw the stoning of the first martyr, Stephen. Paul the Apostle, he oversaw the event. He was there nodding his, his agreement. And he actually looked after, he, he, he was the one who, who looked after the cloaks of the men who went to stone Stephen. They needed to take their cloaks off, not so they wouldn't be restraining their movement of stoning this man. And Paul, you know, they all lived there. Paul was the one who said, okay, leave your cloaks, yeah, I'll watch over them, go and deal with the man. So he was very zealous. So obviously when he turned to Christianity, when he turned to Christ, he was dispossessed by his people. He would have been dispossessed. He would have been disinherited. It's, uh, chances are that was when his wife left him. And that is very possible. So he lost everything. But then he said he counted it all, everything he had, you know, lost. He counted it all, nothing, compared to the joy of having Christ Jesus. And he lived his life for Christ, died for the cause of Christ. So we do not see any precedent of Mr. and Mrs. Pastor, Mr. and Mrs. Prophet in the Bible in that regard. So when you see them nowadays in their silly portraits that take and look nice, you know, holding each other's hands and all that nonsense, Pastor and Pastor, Mrs. and you know it's a business setup. It is a business setup. It is not biblical. And I always say it, if it is not in the Bible, if it is not biblical, I don't want to hear about it, I don't want to think about it, and I certainly don't want to do it. And then it goes even further. They begin to now ordain their sons, you know, as pastors as well. It's a family business. And you're all there worshipping the entire family. So, this woman was there on Facebook yesterday doing something she called preaching while the people were laughing and what was she talking about? She was talking about sex in the marriage giving lessons on sex telling people how to keep their sex life really active and wonderful and she was saying it making lewd jokes and dirty it was horrible, it was horrendous but the fools in our audience all sat there, laughing their heads off, screaming and typing, preach it. I could see it all, you know, because it was a live thing on Facebook, so you could see people's responses. Preach it, ma. Yes, mummy. And all the nonsense of laughing and hailing it and thought. And I just sent one question over. I said, is this the gospel of Christ? And some young ignorant lady answered me back saying, what do you mean? Are you saying, what exactly are you saying, please? I said, what I'm saying is the pulpit is not meant for lessons in sex. And this sort of vulgarity and lewdness that this woman is peeling is utterly disgusting and shameful for what is supposed to be a church gathering, if it is a church gathering, as they claim it is. And she replies, saying, oh, what are you talking about? Are you saying that, that this shouldn't be addressed? This matter needs to be addressed because she talked. Didn't you hear her talk about Onan? You know, the sin of Onan. And this matter needs to be addressed. The devil has ruined many marriages because of sex. <laughs> she was having some kind of argument with me as far as she was concerned. And I just sent her a very short reply back because obviously I was dealing with somebody who was totally ignorant, somebody absolutely carnal. I was dealing with a non-Christian, though she may have been there thinking she was one. And I said, uh, give me a few pointers, please, as to where the Bible tells us that sexual lessons are to be, give, are to be given in church or in sermons. And once you do that, I'll be fine. And by the way, the uh, the sin of Onan, which this woman spoke about, because I heard her, was grossly misrepresented. Onan was punished by God for breaking a covenant. Not because he did not give the lady sexual pleasure. <laughs> and I said, yes, let me know. Uh, give me a few pointers in the Bible. I said, listen, where you find that the devil is destroying marriages because of sex, such marriages were never really based in, on love then, on true love. They were based on lust. And that shut her up. I didn't hear, I have not heard back from her to, until now. So I guess that kept her quiet because for one thing, she would not, she would have had a task trying to find me any biblical references to sexual lessons. But this is happening everywhere because the week before, somebody sent me a clip again on WhatsApp. 
And this is another female, another lady pastor in her husband's church. Can't remember her name, but I think her husband, if I remember correctly, she mentioned her husband. It was something Felix Adejum or something like that. Uh, you know, Nigerian, obviously. Pastor and Pastor Mrs. And there she was also with that laughing and giggling and audience. She was given lessons on seduction. It was all about sex as well. Amazing. Twice in a week I had such trash. Twice in a week. She was given saying how you know, how to seduce their husbands, recommending what sort of underwear to wear, what sort of nighty to wear, what sort of, and how to approach and how to move before the man and all that. What are we talking about? You see, when people are not called of God, they come and churn out a whole load of nonsense because they haven't got the anointing, because they are not sent. Nobody can force themselves into God's presence. You cannot force yourself to serve God. He gives to each person according to his determination. This is what we learned about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit gives to each person according to his determination. I cannot demand what I want to be for God. When I was called into the evangelical ministry, I totally collapsed under the weight of the thought of it. I sobbed. I cried. That was when my life changed. Because I was, I was afraid. I was scared, Steve. You know why? I knew nothing of Jesus Christ before that time. I knew nothing of the gospel of Christ. I knew nothing about salvation. I was clueless. I had been what I thought was a Christian for 14 years prior to that. I had been because I, I belonged to what I said once was a white garment cult. I wouldn't call it a white garment church because they're not a church of Christ. They're just a cult. And uh, the Cherubim and Seraphim church it was called. And for 14 years, I knew nothing of salvation. I knew nothing of being born again. I knew nothing of the grace of God. We went there. We did all the religious things. I was in there three times a week. I was very good. I was very financially generous to the establishment. I did everything that was required of me. I danced. I sang like mad. We had a great choir, you know. Lovely musical instruments. Oh, yes. The music, you know, they were good music anytime we get you in a kind of mood. So we, we, I flowed with all the emotionalism that went with it, you know, and the sentimentalism. You know, when you hear good music, you start shedding tears and everyone will think you're broken. You're not broken. You don't even know God. You only be moved by the music. Even secular music does that to anybody. I remember the first time I went to watch Barry White in concert so many years ago, about 30 years ago. I sat there, dumbstruck. I was absolutely dumbstruck and just sat there, sh you know, tears rolling down my face. You know, the effect of the music, the arrangement, his voice, everything was just so amazing that, you know, would I have called that a spiritual encounter? No, it wasn't. <laughs> that was just my emotions playing up. <laughs> That's all it was. So for 14 years, I belonged to that place or that group. I knew nothing of the Lord. So when I then got called into the, to, to, to be an evangelist, I totally collapsed. I was saying, but why have you chosen to embarrass me in this way? Father, you know I'm a very, Lord, you know I'm a very shy person. You know I, 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 I can't, what am I going to say? I don't even know who you are. But I don't know who you are. I repeated that so many times, weeping until I fell asleep. I just kept on saying that. But I don't even know who you are. But I don't even know who you are. Why do you just want to make me? Why do you want to embarrass me? Why do you want to put me to public disgrace? What am I supposed to say? I don't know who you are. And I said that and said that over and over, sobbing, crying, and I eventually I fell asleep. Woke up the following morning and my mind led me to pick up my Bible and start to read. And I began to read my Bible and I found I was understanding what I was reading as I was reading. Slowly, it wasn't, you know, I didn't get any great big visions. I didn't get an invitation to heaven. All the ridiculous stories you hear from all those false preachers and false teachers and rogue pastors who are telling you about their encounter in heaven when God was pleading with them to please, please serve him. <laughs> I've heard so many ridiculous stories, you know of visitations of angels and visitations of the Lord Jesus Christ when they were in the shower saying you must serve me yes we had such ridiculous story from um, a guy called Albert Odulele I wonder if he's out of prison now he was a pastor in London leading many people 
astray, I must add. And um, you know, he had uh, fancy stories about visitations of God and God pleading with him to serve him and all that. Well, several years along the line of his uh, lying service, God put him to shame and exposed him for who he was, a liar and an imposter. And that is exactly how all of God's enemies are going to be disgraced ultimately. He ended up in prison, what, on child molestation, child abuse, child sexual abuse charges where he was found guilty of molesting little boys in his church. He had a wife and family. So you see, this isn't all that you see. Everything is not necessarily as it appears to you. I don't know if he's out of prison yet or still not there. But you know what? The funny thing was, we still had people, members of his church, still saying it was the devil who'd risen against him. And they were still following him. I don't know what happened, whether they carried on after he... But I think for a while they carried on after he was in prison. Whether they're still on, I don't know. I think they were called Glory House. I must look into that one of these days. But that's the thing with people. Who is on the Lord's side? God exposes his enemies, brings them out, exposes them for what they are. What do the followers do? No. They blame it on the devil. You blaming the work of God on the devil, you are blaspheming. You are blaspheming and you know what? You are roping yourself in with the, in the same sin of that idol that you have chosen to believe over and above the word of God. That's what you're doing. You do not realize how grave a sin it is. Your pastor is exposed for who they are. You see their ostentatious lifestyle. You see their lavish lifestyle. You see their wasteful lifestyle. You see all, the, all their deception. You cannot be bothered to compare their preaching and their teaching with scripture to see whether they speak the truth or not. You're opening yourselves in with their sin. And unfortunately, you see, if you do not repent and turn to Christ and his truth alone, these men cannot save you. Only the truth of God saves. Only Jesus saves. And it doesn't just save by you just mouthing it. Jesus is Lord. He has to tell you just to say Jesus is Lord and that's fine. Go your merry way, sow seeds, put money in the church and you're okay. No, you're not. No, you're not. You have got to be sin. You've, to, to, to bear fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We have to see the Christ-likeness. It's got to be evident. This is how Christianity, that's how the believers in the first century were called Christians. People saw them. They saw them, they saw the evidence of likeness to Christ in them. These people had accepted the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They had repented of their sins. And so they, they, they repented and God filled them with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit began to produce fruit in them. They lived in obedience. That is the key thing. It's not enough you hear the gospel and say, yes, I I believe Jesus is Lord. Yes, I believe he died for me. Oh, yes, that's it. I'm baptized. That's it. Everything is fine. And then they say to you, the false pastors say, welcome to the family of God. No, none of us can welcome anybody into the family of God. We can tell you about the gospel. We don't know when you're really regenerated. We don't know whether you've received the message or not. But God knows. And God who sees your heart and evaluates and knows your motives, if you are sincere, you do get the new birth. You, you begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit. We see. Then it will be obvious. The changes in you will be obvious, visible to everyone. I said when I became born again, I lost all my friends because they said I'd gone mad. They said I was now a fanatic Christian. They were fine with the so-called Christianity I practiced before. Because even though I did it, I did all the right things in church. I was me, living in absolute debauchery and <laughs> recklessness. But I would do the right thing on the right days, go to church, play holy. We all, you know, and anyone can do that. And that was fine. Because that accommodated every madness my friends and I, you know, uh, perpetrated at the time. But once I became regenerated, things changed. They'd visit and all out carry on about this Lord Jesus Christ and salvation and forgiveness of sins. They would come and all I want to talk about is the scriptures that I've been reading. All I want to talk about is the gospel of Christ. And they said, no, this is not acceptable. This is ridiculous. She's gone fanatic now. She's gone mental. She's gone mad. She's lost her mind. And one by one, they left me. I never, I, I never, I did not miss them. I did not miss them. And I did not look for them. Not because I didn't care for their salvation. I cared enough to have been telling them 
about my newfound affection, my newfound love, the Lord Jesus Christ, my newfound salvation, my newfound life. They rejected it, so that was that. I was not under obligation to continue to pursue them, to bring them to Christ. They did not want to know. One of them, uh, years later, died in, in an adulterous situation, you know, with uh, had his own wife, was caught dead. I don't know if he had a heart attack or something d during uh, 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 relations with another woman in her hotel. It's very sad. But this is the thing. This is what happens. I mean, what has it cost? Christianity, your Christianity must cost you something. It's got to cost you something. I quoted from John MacArthur once, and he said, salvation is free. Oh, yes. Salvation is free. He said, but the annual subscription is everything. Everything. All you are and all you have, you must lay down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have got to be different. You cannot remain who you, you, you were and say, because Jesus said, come as you are. Oh yeah? Come as you are, but you do not leave his presence as you are, as you were. <laughs> You, you leave his presence different. Yes, we do come as we are. I came to him with my burden of sin. He took them off me. Would I go back and accumulate more? That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. You have got to turn to Christ in spirit and in truth. It's not about belonging to a fancy church and taking on the name of the church, you know. It's a very common thing in Africa. People love to associate themselves with the name of their church group. I'm a winner. I'm a redeemer. I'm a this, I'm a that. Who cares? What's the meaning of that in the economy of heaven? What's the meaning of that? It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Christians are people who live in obedience to the teachings of and about Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And the Christians are born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And so they become more and more Christ-like. All the days of our lives, we develop in Christ-likeness. More and more, we are stripped of ourselves. And we take on more and more of Christ Jesus. And it will be obvious to people who have known you. It will be obvious to them that the changes have happened in you. You've been transformed. People should see it. People should see it. And it should cost you something. Because you know what? You will not be acceptable to the world anymore. If you find the world is still loving you and you're still loving each other, you've got problems. You need to really examine yourself. Are you truly a Christian? It's got to cost you something. It cost me my family, my biological family, my birth family. Oh yes, even there, I, I was opposed. I was opposed. My Christianity is detested by my own mother. You know, so what are we saying here? But you've got to make the choice and decide whose side you're on. Who is on the Lord's side? On whose side are you? When, the, when Christians were called Christians, and the, when believers were called Christians, what Christian means little Christ. Is there any aspect of your life when you consider yourself, when you look at yourself, is there anything you think you have in common with the Lord Jesus Christ? Has there been any change in you that makes you Christ-like in any way? Do you have any of his attributes? We, we, we know about them all. They're all in the Bible. If you're not too lazy to be studying your scripture or study, or study even now, it's never too late. Is there any part of you in your devotion to God, in your love for God? Are you selfless in your love towards anybody and everybody else? Are you concerned about the things that God is concerned about? Are you concerned about the sins of the world? Are you concerned about the unsaved? Are you concerned about the unsaved members of your family? It's amazing, you know, you've got Christians... They say they're born again, but they go ahead and marry somebody who is not of the same faith. They go and marry somebody who's, you know, practicing a false religion. You put yourself ahead of Christ. We are not supposed, we are not supposed to mingle with the unbelievers. The Bible makes clear we have nothing in common. We have nothing in common. It's different if you'd been married to some a non-believer before you yourself became a non-believer. In which case, the Bible says you don't have to divorce them as long as they're willing to continue to live with you. But if they want to go, by all means, let them go. 
you don't divorce a person because you are now born again and they're not you know but if you were born again before you got married and you know you still go ahead and choose a, a, a non-regenerate person a non-believer then you are setting yourself up for disaster to be honest you really are and you are walking in disobedience and God's children are obedient to him they're obedient to him so the requirement to be Christ-like is still the same because that is the reason we are saved it makes it very clear to us you know the Bible makes it clear in, in, in Romans chapter 8 verse 28 I read from it says and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose let me stop there for a minute because that's another Bible verse that people mis- misuse for selfish reasons God works in all things for me yet no no he doesn't your will, your purpose must be in line with his purpose. We do not bring God in line with our purpose. Our purpose must be in line with God's purpose. And it's the same thing as I was saying earlier when I said people think, once you say, oh, um, ask for anything you will and it will be given you. Well, as long as what you're asking for is in line with the purpose of God. I have found God a prayer answering God. Because, and that's just because I don't go imposing my prayers on him. I put my request before him, yes. But you know what? When I do, and my requests are not usually stupid. I don't go before God demanding a Mercedes and demanding more money and demanding millions and demanding designer clothing. I don't go demanding a big house. I don't go demanding a mansion because my neighbors have got it. I don't go saying to him, you know what, Father, you need to prosper me and make me so rich and wealthy because look, unbelievers are doing it. I need, I need them to know that I'm a child of God by you showing me because this is what false teachers tell you. They tell you to show off your blessings in, material, in your material wealth. They do the same thing. And so you lost after them. They come in, in their designer suits and Rolex watches and you know, designer haircut even in some cases, you know, perms and all that. And their designer great big, you know, um, customized cars, custom, uh, customized cars, and the private jets, and they tell you all those things, they tell you what they've got, they tell you about their wealth, and they tell you it's all because of our obedience to God. And this is how you know, because you know you have to show what God has given you. And so we have a situation now where there are some churches that you cannot even go to if you don't have certain kind of clothing. You can't just go in there wearing your trainers and jeans. I don't know if they'll let you in, to be honest, and if they do, you'll be mocked. I um, had uh, I had a... A, a, a conversation once with a lady she she used to make celebration cakes for me and uh on new year's eve i went to collect a cake on my way to church so many years ago about 20 years ago and um she said oh you're going to church i said yes i said oh my daughter wanted to um start going to church she developed a certain interest in christianity but um unfortunately she went to a church uh, and um she came back home crying. I said, well, well, what happened? She said, well, she said, she came back and said, Mom, I can't go there. Uh, I don't have the right kind of clothes. Her daughter uh, was a very big, they're a very big family, you know. And uh, so this girl was very, very tall. She must have been over six feet. She was only about 17 at the time. Over six feet tall and, you know, probably had size 10 or 11 feet. And so she generally was always in jeans and, and trainers and she went to this so-called church dressed like that and she said they were standing outside you know waiting to go in and people were looking at her in the queue and and, and sneering at her and looking at her and you know giving her looks and making comments and gossiping she knew they were talking about her this is the bad thing about africans sometimes you know they cannot hide they can't hide their evil when they're talking about you you can tell they are and they were looking at her, you know, with derision. And they went in. It was the same when they sat down that she had to leave. She had to get up and go. She went home crying to her mother. I didn't know what sort of apology I could offer. I, was, I didn't know where to put my face, to be honest. I was so embarrassed, so ashamed. So ashamed of such a Christian group. And it happens to these days, a competition. I had a friend once who uh, belonged to one of this, one of the modern-day charismatic churches, and she said to me, Ah, do you know what? I've got to... Um, uh, talking about her outfit to church. 
I don't know what conversation led to it. She said, oh, the minute I leave church on Sunday, I start planning my outfit for next Sunday. I can't repeat the same outfit in three months. Really? But that is what is going on. Because you've been encouraging carnality. Do you know what? When you're so carnally minded, you set yourself up for disaster. You are already a victim of Satan. And I'll tell you why. In another uh, time, won't permit me to say it today, but I will tell you why subsequently. Because there are only three channels of temptation that Satan uses. Only three. They've never changed. Never ever have changed. And I don't see them changing because the three, very comprehensive, covers every ground he needs to cover. And he's doing very well. He's prospering in it. And these are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're going to talk about that at an, at a, 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 in another session. So once you're carnally minded, once you're materialistic, you are a sure, sure certainty for, for, for Satan. And he'll finish you unless you repent. He will destroy you. That's what he does. He's there to kill, steal, and destroy. He has no other purpose. And how many so professing Christians has he finished off? How many? Very many. Too numerous to count. And that is his purpose, to make sure that as many as he can will go to hell with him. But you know what? There is always a chance with God. He's merciful. As long as you have breath, you have an opportunity to repent. And when you repent, you will find mercy because God is love and God is merciful. He's always willing. As long as you're willing to repent, well, you need to repent. You need to desist from the idolatry of following false teachers and extolling them as God. They are not God. They are liars. They are rogues. They are servants of the devil. Are you on the Lord's side? The only truth is found in the scriptures. The only truth is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many say they profess, many profess to be Christians today. They are unsaved, but they are under the delusion they are saved. They think they are saved because of the kind of church they belong to. They think they are saved because pastor said so. They think they are saved because they are putting enough money. They think they are saved because they are serving as ushers or some kind of pastor or something or the other according to pastor's own ordination, not God's. You are not saved unless you walk in obedience. Because people who are saved walk in obedience not because we do it to be saved. Because we do it because we, we are thankful. We are thankful that we have been saved. Many cannot even tell you what they've been saved from. They say, I'm saved. Yeah, what have you been saved from? They don't even know. They're clueless as to what the gospel of Christ is. Let alone explain to you or testify to what salvation is all about. So they have no idea. They have no idea. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through him. The only way you can claim to be a Christian is having poured out your life and emptied yourself of yourself and taken on the life of Christ. There is a hymn that we sing, I'd Rather Have Jesus. It's, it's one of my favorite hymns. Uh, it's, it's a hymn that, you know, a, a believer will sing to, to, to affirm their love for, 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 for Christ and for God. Now, this hymn was written by, by a man called Rhea F. Miller. And the tune to that song was written by George Beverly Shear. Now, George Beverly Shear was one, he was a very gifted musician, very talented. But he was confused about his life. He was confused about life, didn't know which direction to walk, didn't know what to do with himself. He had offers from here and from there because he was a gifted musician. But he was confused. And his mother, being a Christian mother, evidently a praying mother, she came across this word, the words of that song, I'd rather have Jesus. And she wrote it all down and put it on the piano where he, she knew her son would come and play the piano because he did all the time as a musician. And um, she put it there hoping her son would find it and change the course of his life. He did find it and he did change the course of his life. He sat down at the piano and began to sing the words of that song with a, you know, with a tune that fitted the words. 
uh, her, his mother heard him singing the song and she asked him to sing it in church the next day. He did. The direction of his life changed from then on. He was offered a very popular music career with NBC, you know, in those days. But um, he chose, rather, to become associated with uh, the evangelist, Billy Graham. And he followed Billy Graham around, singing her song all over the world. And today we sing it. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hunger and spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Are you able to say those words in truth, in sincerity? That is the life of the true Christian. And it's not too late for you to be such a Christian. The many hymns like that that we sing in worship they were written by ordinary people like you and I. They were written out of sheer love for God. Another one is Horatio G. Spafford, the song, It Is Well With My Soul. People like to say it. It's another slogan that's been taught and been mouthed along the empty charismatics nowadays. Every little thing, it is well, it is well. What is well? What is well? When Horatio G. Spafford, when he wrote those words, that though Satan should buffet, though trials shall come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. He had lost everything. He'd been a wealthy businessman, lawyer, and he'd lost everything. His business had collapsed in a great fire and all, and he'd been through so much stress. He lost his only son to scarlet fever. And the family he had been, he had four daughters and his wife left. And he had, they'd been through so much stress and torment that he decided that they should go on holiday in, um, in England. They were in America. And um, he put his wife and four daughters on a ship heading for England. He was going to join them later because he had to tidy up things with his collapse business. And his wife and daughters got shipwrecked. The four daughters drowned. His wife survived and sent him a telegram saying, saved alone. He got on the next available ship to head for England. And when he got to the spot where the shipwreck had occurred, he penned those words. He was in pain. He was a man in extreme agony. But he penned those words. He didn't just pen them out of what he had gotten out of God. No, he, he didn't. He was in extreme pain. Pain that you and I will find very, very hard to, to imagine. He had just lost all his children, five of them, four daughters, one son before the shipwreck, four daughters in the shipwreck, lost all his business and everything he ever had. But all that mattered to him in the final analysis was his relationship to the Lord that no matter what, it is well with my soul. People say it as though it was just a slogan. It is not an empty slogan. It was a song written by a man in a lot of pain, a man in extreme pain, pain that I cannot imagine because I have not suffered such loss. I have suffered a lot of loss as well for the sake of Christ. I have suffered them and I have considered them nothing because indeed it is well with my soul. My relationship with the Lord is intact. The love of God for me is intact. His love for me is not unfailing just because I've lost material things. No. It is well with my soul. Because I am on the Lord's side. Are you on the Lord's side? False religion is not going to get you anywhere. False Christianity, false worship, empty notions 
it's not going to get you anywhere it is your purity before God your sincerity your obedience to Christ your submission to him as Lord of your life that is what will give you the assurance that indeed it is well with your soul when you know that you are the Lord's indeed we'll leave it here for today let's end with a word of prayer Father we thank you for what we have shared today we thank you for the power of your word which is able to give us life and to turn us and to turn us round Father I pray O Lord that you make us all after thy will turn us to thyself O Lord of our God help us to devote ourselves and our life to you help us to love you as we ought to Lord Jesus pour yourself into us and empty us of ourselves that our lives may be to the glory of your praise and the praise of the Father in your name Lord Jesus we ask Amen <laughs>